Well, good morning again, everyone. Welcome to those of you who are joining us by video right now. If you're in our traditional sanctuary, joining us online, I'm glad you're here. In both of our live venues right now, our ushers are going to come up the aisles with Bibles. And I'd love for you to borrow a Bible if you don't have one yet. If you've got your own, go ahead and open it up right now. Otherwise, you can borrow one of these that we've got. And you can even kind of mark your page. We're going to be reading in a little bit from Luke chapter 12, and it's on page 1526 of those Bibles if you'd like to use one today. Hey, let me uh, start by telling you guys a story. This is a story that a friend of mine told me about a friend of theirs a long time ago. He said he had a friend who was a middle-aged guy working for a a very successful regional manufacturing company, and he was doing really very well in his career. He'd made it to be the leader of a pretty important division in his company. His income was rising rapidly. His productivity was fantastic, and he did very well. He was a really hard worker. He worked 12 hours a day every single day as long as that day was Saturday, 14 during the week. The guy believed in the 40-hour work week that it was so beautiful. He thought it was so beautiful. Sometimes he worked it twice a week. He was a very hardworking guy, right? And this helped him get ahead, but he also had some things that cost him in life, which his wife reminded him of from time to time for how hard he was working at that. And he reminded her that sometimes in life you have to make sacrifices, and the sacrifices he made were ball games and concerts and stuff like that. And she tried talking him to go into church on Sundays with the family. And he said, that is the only day that I get to sleep in. Like, I got to have one rest day. And she tried to get him to go to the doctor. And he said, what do I go to the doctor for? Everybody's got risks. I know that. And he kept going pretty hard. He was doing very well. And one day, his boss invited him, asked him and his whole team into his office and made an announcement. He said, we have an opportunity like we haven't had before in a long time. Our company's about to make a new acquisition. This is a deal breaker for us. This gives us access to new markets we haven't had opportunity to get into before. This gives us new product lines we haven't developed before. And I don't have to tell you what this could mean for our company and what this could mean for each of us personally. This is what we've all been waiting for. Now, these next next six to 12 months, we're going to have to work like we've never worked before. But if we really get into it, if we do what I know that we can do over the course of the next year, at the end of that, we are all going to go home rich men. We're going to be very happy. And he goes home and he tells his wife, tells his wife about this opportunity. And he says, this is the break we've been waiting for. This is going to change our lives. And I'm gonna have to work for this maybe harder than before. But at the end of this, we're finally gonna take that vacation that we've been wanting to take. We're gonna move into that house that we've been looking at. We are gonna be able to put our feet up and take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And she said, I've heard this speech before. And by the end of that night, by the end of the evening, they were both tired, and she went off to bed. And he said, I got a little bit more work I need to do just to get a couple things ready for tomorrow morning. And so he went to his desk in the office that he had at home, went to his desk. And before he started answering or sending a few emails, he opened up his own mail that had come home and saw his quarterly statements, and his balances were rising, though his life was out of balance. His portfolio was growing, and he felt pretty good about that. And then he popped open his screen and began to send some emails away, so excited about the new business that was going to be created that his heart skipped a beat. Two, actually. Then three. Then four. And he gasped for breath and clutched his chest. And a couple of hours later, his wife woke up in the middle of the night and realized that she was still in bed alone and walked down the hallway, none too delicately, threw open the door to where he was, saw him slumped over his keyboard, and thought to himself, he is so married to his work, he'd rather fall asleep here than come to bed with me. Walked over to him to shake his arm and wake him up, just to find that his shoulder was colder than hers. And she gasped and dialed 911 as quick as she could, but it was already hours too late. And then a couple of days later, 
at the funeral. People got up and said all the nice things that they could say about him and that he had been such a success that he had really made something of himself. He, they told the story of how he had come from nothing and really made something, made much of himself. And a little before that, they'd been walking by the casket at a visitation. And they said, you did good, Joe. You did good. You really made it. But those weren't the only words that were being spoken to and over Joe at that moment. That night, God also spoke to Joe. And his words to him were, you fool, you fool. Who's going to, this very night, your life has been demanded from you. And now, what's the value? What's the value of the life that you lived? There's this verse in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. It says, there is a way that appears to be right. Like for all the world, it appears to be right. It looks so wise. There's a way that appears to be right. But in the end, it just leads to death. You know, when Jesus came on the scene, when he came on the scene 2,000 years ago with a ministry to those who were broken, with, with good news for everyone, he came in with an announcement. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. God has moved into the world in a new way, with new power, with new presence. And another world is possible. No, not possible. Another world is not only possible. Another world has already begun. God is breaking in. He's breaking in his future perfect world into the present. You're invited in. And so change your mind, turn your life around. The biblical word for that is repent. Change your way of thinking, turn your life around, and entrust your life to this good news. And people began to do that. And a new community gathered full of new hope and new power and new presence and began to live together in unprecedented ways. And this was the very beginning of the Christian community. And in the midst of this ministry, in the midst of touring around and announcing this news and inviting apprentices and disciples and calling them and teaching them, Somebody came up to Jesus one day in the midst of his ministry with a very reasonable question that completely appeared to be right to him. He said, Jesus, would you please tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Fair enough, right? And Jesus says, no. <laughs> he said, his words were, man, who appointed me to be the judge between you? Why is that my job? But then he warned the guy. I think he could see the danger that his heart was in and out of compassion for him said to the guy, watch out. You are at a dangerous moment in life. He said to him, watch out, be on your guard. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, right? Because greed comes in a lot of forms and it's insidious and it works its way into our hearts. And he warned him, watch out, man. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of things. You probably think that it does and you're trying to build a life that way. But I'm telling you where life actually is. Please listen to me. And then, as he said to him, watch out, be on your guard, life does not consist in the abundance of things, he told him a story. I want to read it to you. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 12. It's on page 1526 of these Quest Bibles, and it's just a few verses long. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, Jesus told them this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I don't, I don't even have a place to store all these crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. There I'll store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. 
And then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? And then Jesus summed up the story and he said, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jesus tells this story as a warning, right? He's trying to say, watch out, look out, I'm warning you. And what does he warn him about? You should be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed comes to us in different forms, right? Last week, we talked a little bit about how greed can work its way into our hearts and cultivate a desire for lots of nice things. We read a story about a guy who lived in luxury and purple and fine linen and all this while somebody else had nothing. We talked about the hamster wheel of life that we're running on, chasing after happiness and the good life out of nice and new things. And we, and we said to ourselves, you know what? That new car smell fades, Right? Like, it just never satisfies. And if you're looking for the good life there, you're going to be unhappy. It's not going to work out for you, right? And other people aren't going to have what they need. It doesn't work out that way. Greed sometimes takes that form. But that's not the only form greed takes. Sometimes greed takes the form in our lives where the idol we're searching after is not luxury, but security, right? We're not necessarily looking for nicer things, but bigger accounts, bigger barns, accumulated wealth. And I remember where I was when it hit me that that was my temptation, where it hit me that that was a temptation for me. I was in a hotel room, and it was early in the morning. I was traveling with my family. Kids were littler then. All four of us were there. And I woke up before anybody else, which is not unusual in my family. And I woke up. It was early in the morning, but I'm in the same room as everybody. I don't want to wake anybody up. So I went over, and I was reading a book in the mornings. It's a, a book by the Christian author Tim Keller. Some of you may know who that is. And I went over and I sat on the hotel carpet floor by the door near the bathroom so I could turn the bathroom light on and read by the light that was coming out of the bathroom. And I sat there and he was writing about the role of money in the Christian life. And he said, some of us will think that money might become an idol for us. He said, I don't think money's an idol, actually. Money's just a means to an end. And for some of us, the idol that we're pursuing by means of our money and possessions is luxury, nice things, whatever, and we find, try to find pleasure that way. For others of us, the idol that we're pursuing is security. And it hit me that that was my temptation. It's not the nice things. It's not the luxury. It's actually fairly easy for me to say no to a shopping spree. <laughs> Ask my wife. And yeah, <laughs> she's the innocent one here. <laughs> but... For me, uh, I'm not so tempted by a bigger boat. I'm tempted by bigger balances, right? Bigger barns, that's my temptation. Sometimes the idol that we serve is not luxury, but security. And maybe some of you are in the same place. And, and if that's where you are, I can only imagine that your heart and your mind are asking the same question that I've asked myself over the years. And that is, so is it wrong to save for the future? Is that somehow unchristian, unfaithful, untrusting? No, I, I don't think it is. I don't think the Bible says that. Is it wrong to hoard up for yourself more things than you actually need? Yes, yes, I think it is. So where's the line between saving and hoarding? I don't know. <laughs> I really, truthfully, I don't know where that line is. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't one. I'm pretty sure that there is. And it doesn't mean that a lot of us aren't on the wrong side of it. I bet that at least some of us are. It just means that I'm not equipped to tell you where that line is in your life. You probably don't want me to. <laughs> but I've had to go looking for it in my own life. And I know in another season of our lives, Amy and I talked about this, and we decided that we ought to divert some money away from our savings to give more away in order to try to knock down this spiritual idol that finds its way at least into my heart and into many human hearts. 
I, I try to imagine, like, what if Jesus were up here on this platform right now teaching us? I, I would sit down, by the way, and we'd all listen to him, which is the value of his word, right, that we listen to his teaching. And I thought to myself, what would happen if I asked, if we asked Jesus, what's that line? Like, what, what's the number practically? Can you tell me when I've stopped being fair and wise and when I've started being selfish and hoarding up things for myself? Where is that? You know, I think what he would do is first he would say, watch out. You're at, a, you're at a critical point right now. Be on your guard because greed is going to work its way in while you try to think about this. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then I think he'd probably tell us a story, a lot like the story that was here, rather than just making us robots and saying, this is the commandment. I think he would train our hearts and our minds for the kingdom. And he would tell us a story to try to change our imagination of what's important in life. And then probably he would finish by saying some of the same things that he says right after the story. He would say to us, as you think about this, make your first priority in life the kingdom of God. Some of you may have heard this kind of famous verse, seek first the kingdom of God. Because we, we've all got a lot of priorities in life, a lot of priorities. And Jesus would say, don't let the kingdom of God be the nice to have priority after you met all the other priorities that are important to you. Make the kingdom of God your first priority and, and pray and think about how that's going to work out in your life. And I think he might say, as he says a little bit later in this chapter, in, in this chapter, he says to people, sell your possessions and give stuff away to the poor. Now, I, I don't think that that means, and it doesn't seem that early Christians applied it in such a way that you need to get rid of everything you have and sleep on the sidewalk without a blanket. I don't think that's how the Christians, how Jesus' first followers applied that. But I think he might say to us, but you could seriously reduce your lifestyle. You probably could live a happier, freer, better life if you would simplify your lifestyle, sell stuff, not in order to buy more newer stuff, but sell stuff, give it away, reduce your lifestyle, create tons of margin for yourself, and share that margin with other people. I think he'd challenge us to figure out how that would apply in our own lives. He'd probably draw some contrasts that would be challenging for us. In a few verses after the story, he makes a contrast between treasure in heaven Another image that he uses is purses that do not wear out, M money bags that don't wear out with time, treasure in heaven, and he contrasts that with treasure on earth. And Jesus describes treasure on earth as treasure that where, where thieves break in and steal and moth and rust destroy. How will you find treasure? Don't put your heart in treasure that wears out. Don't put your heart in treasure that will, that will rust out and wear out over time, that, that somebody could steal, that could be eliminated in a stock market recession or in a, in a real estate bubble, but rather invest in treasure in heaven. What, what does that mean in your life? Maybe he would draw the contrast that he drew in that story that we read. He would say, don't store up things for yourself, but be rich toward God. And, and how in, you, in your life, in your circumstances, in your relationships, with your income, with your assets, how is it that you will stop storing up things for yourselves and be rich toward God? In fact, that's the question that I'm going to leave you with. This question, in fact, I'm going to put up on the screens here in a second, is am I storing up things for myself or am I rich toward God? I want to challenge you to work on that question this week. And I have a super simple, not at all easy, three-step plan. <laughs> We're trying to answer that question in your life, all right? Here's the first step. Pray about it, okay? Like every Christian says that, but I mean it. Pray about it. Like read the story, ask God to speak to your heart. What, what, what do you want for me, God? What sort of life do you imagine for me? What, what would it mean for me to make the kingdom of God my first priority? God, would you, would you by your Holy Spirit please speak to my heart and guide me in your ways? Start by praying about it. Then Think about it, right? Now think about it. Actually think about the details of your own life, your circumstances, what you have, how much you have, how much you keep, how much you share. Think about it. Pray about it. 
think about it, talk about it. If you're married, talk about it with your spouse. Try to have an open conversation about this. Honey, do you think that we're storing up things for ourselves or are we rich toward God? I'm nervous just saying that to you that I'm going to ask Amy that question later, right? So pray about it, think about it, talk about it with a trusted friend. Maybe you've got some people in your lives, different levels of disclosure. Maybe you can decide what's safe for you. But is there somebody you trust to speak honestly into your life? Maybe in your, in your growth groups, our discussion guide for this week is written to have some conversation about this. Again, please don't be afraid. You don't need to bring your statements to your growth group this week or anything like that. But you can talk to people in a way that feels safe in your relationships and in your, in your friendships there and say, what does it mean, do you think, for people in our part of the world, for people in our circumstances, for, for us to not store up things for ourselves, but rather to be rich for God? What does that mean? Let me try to just give you a couple examples of how I've seen people work through this in their lives. I'll just give you two from maybe kind of different circumstances. One was a mentor that I had years ago, probably close to 20 years ago. I was a young man. And uh, he said to me, as older than I was, uh, in retirement at that point, and he said, you know, for me and my wife, we decided earlier on that one of the financial goals that we had as Christians for our lives was we wanted to get to the point where the single biggest line item in our budget was what we gave away. And it took us a while to get there, to get that bigger than our mortgage, to get that bigger than our taxes. Sometimes that could be the biggest one. But it took us a while, but that was a goal that we had. And, and they pursued that as how they felt it would mean to not store up things for ourselves and make the kingdom of God our first priority. They prayed about that. I'm sure they know they talked about that. And uh, I know they thought about that. Or let me give another example, kind of different set of life circumstances. This one actually comes from Dan Lugo, who's our worship leader sitting right over there. I warned him that I was going to do this. Uh, Dan's worked on our staff for about a year and a half, but we've been friends longer than that. And it was something like three, four years ago, I don't remember exactly, that I got a text message from Dan. And uh, Dan had lived up here in the cities previously. He was living in Florida at the time. This time of year, it's always funny to think about moving from Orlando to Minnesota, isn't it? But anyway, Dan was living in Florida. Not, not, a, not a smart guy, not a smart guy. Dan was living in Florida, and he, uh, he texted me, and he said, I got, I got a you know, friend in Minneapolis, and he was in downtown Minneapolis, and he got jumped, and he got robbed, and his glasses got broke, and he just honestly doesn't have a lot. And he, remem he remembered our church, and he said, do you think there's like an optometrist or anybody in your congregation that might do him a favor and help him get some glasses? He doesn't really have a lot. And I said, man, I'll make some calls, let me see. And uh, I said, I don't know how it's gonna work out, and let me just tell you, if I don't come up with anything, like, I'll do it. Amy and I will just, we'll pay for his glasses, all right? Uh, and then this is why I'm telling you the story. He said to me, no, you don't have to do that. I've already got money saved up for that because I learned from my parents to not only create an emergency fund for myself, but to create an emergency fund for somebody else who found themselves in a time of need. Isn't he an admirable guy? But that's not the goal. That's not the point, all right? <laughs> the point is there's lots of different ways in each of our lives to answer the question, to pray about it, think about it, talk about it, and take an action step and do something that says, I'm not just interested in storing stuff up for myself. I want to be rich toward God. I would guess there's as many ways to apply that as there are people listening right now. Okay, let me finish it this way. Because I know this can be a heavy thing to talk about, and this can feel like just one more thing to do and all that. So I want to, I want to remind you of the context in which Jesus spoke this. First, just this level of context. Jesus spoke this story as a, as a warning, right? The very beginning of his parable was, watch out, man, be on your guard. And I thought to myself, what are the contexts in which I have experience with speaking or receiving a warning among people that I know and love? And I, and I thought of my family, and I thought of my kids. 
And right now, it's current in our lives, I got an 11-year-old and 13-year-old, to talk about appropriate use of technology, wise use of technology in our lives. And there are some warnings that I've been speaking to them, and frankly, we've been talking to each other, and I think I've received some warnings about the amount of screen time that I spend, right? And so we've been kind of warning each other about this. Now, I just want to clarify what I think you all know. My kids do not need to learn to use social media wisely in order for me to love them, right? I love them to death. That's why we're talking about this. And you do not need to fix your financial life by tomorrow or become profoundly generous in order for Jesus to love you. He loved you to death. He loves you to death. You are in him the beloved of God. And it is only in that context that this whole thing makes sense. And you imagine this guy coming up to Jesus and saying, I tell my brother this, and Jesus goes, whoa, man, watch out. I care about you, right? And you're at a critical moment in life. You, you're about to make a decision. You're in a relationship moment that could affect that relationship forever. And I am warning you, be on your guard against all the different ways that greed wants to work its way into your heart and get its tentacles around you. And I'm warning you because I love you. And this greed, if it gets a hold of you, it will shrivel your heart. It will steal your joy. It will threaten your relationships. It'll impoverish your community. And pretty soon, your inheritance will be more important to you than your brother. And that is not what I want for you. That is not the life that the Lord Jesus wants for us. So as you apply this question to your life this week, as you ask yourself, am I storing up things for myself or am I rich toward God? And I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to talk about it. I want to encourage you, finally, don't ask that question from the perspective of what now? What does God want from me now? Now, what do I got to live on saltines and cold water if I want to be a real Christian? What now? Instead, ask yourself this question. Think about this from the perspective of what if? What if, what if the kingdom of God actually had come among us? What if Jesus was right? What if another life actually was possible? What if there is such a thing as treasure in heaven? What if I could get off the hamster wheel that never provides any happiness or security, right? What, what if the way that appears to be right isn't right and it leads to death, but Jesus has shown me and rescued me for a different way? What if I heard this good news and I changed my way of thinking and I turned around and I entrusted my life to this good news? What if that was possible? It is. It is. And God has come to rescue us from our own misleading ideas, from the powers that enslave us, and to give us and invite us into the newness of life. I pray that God make it so among us. Let's pray for it right now. Father in heaven, you, you're good. You made us. You love us. You want the best for us and for your whole world. And God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see the goodness of your move in our lives and in our relationships and in our communities and to trust you, to know that joy comes from you, a relationship with you, a life following you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would teach us to trust you with our security, to not hoard up things for ourselves, but rather to, to be rich toward you and to live in generosity and community to live in healthiness of relationship, to live in faith and obedience to your word. God, I pray that you would give us what comes only from you, the life that is truly life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.